Welcome to the Space for Magic podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to receiving all the gifts the universe has for us. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive coach. Using a blend of common sense, brain science, and just a dash of magic, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey there, welcome to this episode of the Space for Magic podcast. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. And the question I have for you today is, do you know how to make it easier on yourself? And the reason I'm asking you that question is because it's what I've been pondering myself. I have somehow worked myself into a space of making things more complicated than they need to be forgetting that I get to hand it off to the divine, like all of it, if it feels hard and understanding that when it feels like I'm pushing a boulder up a hill, that that is my sign that I'm doing more than my hundred percent. You know, the stuff I preach here every week, (laughs) learning it once again. And so I think the reason I got back into this space is because This particular episode is the episode where I'm announcing that the book, Make Space for Magic, is now available for pre-sale, which means you can order it today and you will be one of the first to get a copy shipped to you. Not only that, but when you order it, an advanced copy today, you will get a bunch of bonuses that we've created to make it fun and exciting. We're going to have a private Facebook group just for you. You are our magic maker if you order in our pre-sale period because you're helping us make the magic around the book grow and we want to reward you for that. You've got a backstage pass to some private conversations I had with the publisher with my team. Um, We're going to talk about some Oracle card readings that relate to creation and lots of other fun stuff. Plus, you're going to get a sneak peek at the book itself before it even ships. So if that feels good to you, you can, I'll just tell you right now, you can go to pattylynn.com forward slash make space for magic and you will get all the details there on what to do. You just order the book on Amazon or any retailer, send us the receipt and we will send you your bonuses. So as I was thinking about how to introduce the book today, it felt hard simply because I feel like I've told you a lot about it already. I've been talking about it, gosh, off and on for over a year as it's been being created. And my good friend Payson said, what would feel easy right now? What would feel easy? The question that always sparks a bit more inspiration. And I suddenly realized, you know what would feel really easy is to just give you a piece of the book, right? To just read you a part of the book. And so that's what I'm going to do. And before I jump into it, though, what I'd like to offer you before I even start telling you this little story is to ask you, think of a challenge you've got right now. Think of something that feels really hard. What would feel easy right now? And can you give yourself that grace? All right. So 
here we go. Let's jump in. Make Space for Magic is the title of the book. And the title page, should I just read the title page? Make Space for Magic by Patty Lennon. And I do want to offer this the first time I'm saying this out loud. The uh, dedication of the book is to Matthew and Katie, my best and favorite teachers. So much of what I offer in the book comes from the wisdom I've gained from either directly from my children, Matthew and Katie, or from being their mom. So with that, let's jump in. Introduction. When I was seven years old, I knew exactly what I was going to be when I grew up a missionary. I was going to go out and tell people that God loved them and it would be awesome. I would sit with them and I would love them and I would show them that they were not alone. I was Catholic. And just to be clear, I didn't want to convince other people to convert to my religion. It never occurred to me that that was part of the job description. It was simply that it broke my heart to think that someone else might be living scared, alone, or in poverty without knowing that they had this divine being that loved them unconditionally. When I thought about my future, it was impossible to conceive of doing anything else. And then I became a corporate banker, obviously a career very closely related to my childhood dreams. I didn't set out to become a banker. I fell into it. By the time I was in college, I had come to realize that my childhood dream of missionary work, albeit altruistic, wasn't realistic. I eventually translated my desire to help others into a desire of becoming a public defender. I loved the law and found joy and ease in the college coursework. My senior year, I got a coveted internship with the Broome County Public Defender's Office. At first, the work was exciting and fulfilling, but it wasn't long before I recognized the injustice in our justice system. The public defenders I supported in my internship were nothing less than superheroes in their fight for our clients. But I could see they were set up to fail. As I looked across the landscape of that career, I couldn't step forward. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I knew it wasn't law. I left college in 1993 to face a grim job market, which was fine because I'm not sure I would have known what to look for anyway, even if the market was on fire. I applied to a temp agency and they placed me at a bank. My uncle owned a finance company and had let me work there during the summer. So I came with some industry background. Without that, I'm not sure I would have even qualified for temp work back then. The first assignment I received in my new role was to update client mailing addresses in our system. If you've ever filled out a change of address form on the back of a billing statement, mailed it in and wonder how it got updated, I am going to pull back the curtain for you. A recent and otherwise unemployable college graduate is sitting at a desk for hours making those keystrokes happen. Midway through one afternoon, I finished up a stack of address changes I'd been given and asked my manager for more. She said she had left me three piles right there on my desk, and I told her those were done. She was in shock and told me that she would normally have given the team a week to process those piles. She told her second in command, look, look what Patty just did. I'm not going to lie. After feeling lost for so long, The sweet bomb of data processing success felt good. (laughs) I arrived at my temp job every day, eager to exceed the very low bar that had been set for me. As a result, my manager noticed and within a few weeks offered me a permanent job. I knew this wasn't my calling, but it was a paycheck and it came with health benefits my parents seemed so fixated on. I took it. It would pay my bills until I figured out what I was going to do with my life. 
During the first five years, I walked into that building with the sense that this was a temporary placement. I had absolutely no desire to climb the corporate ladder, but I was a perfectionist, heavily addicted to people pleasing and recognition. So I had a natural propensity to do excellent work and always be on the lookout for how I could help my managers. Without quote unquote trying, I was quickly promoted over and over again. Then something shifted. I was recruited onto the team of someone who would become one of my favorite managers and mentors. It was a sales position, and I soon found I loved it. The position allowed me to travel and entertain while helping our business clients find financial solutions. At first, the joy of closing a deal carried me along. Eventually, the joy of being really good at something propelled me to see banking as a career. Each year, I took on more responsibility and received more accolades, and my original yearning to help people know God's love was seeded by the ability to help our clients and our internal team. When I met my husband at age 29, I was a vice president of something. Honestly, I can't even remember, but I loved it, and I loved him. We married when I was 31, and we immediately began having trying to have children. Months and months passed, and eventually, after a year, my doctor said we needed to consider that one of us was infertile. I remember one night curled up in my bedroom on the floor, sobbing. Side note, I still wonder why I was on the floor. The memory is so clear. The bed would have been so much more comfortable. Maybe the floor just felt like a better match for the frustration and desperation I felt. It was the first time, but certainly not the last, where my reality so completely opposed what I knew to be true. I knew I was meant to have children, and I also knew I wasn't meant to have fertility treatments. Back then, I rarely leaned into the intuition that guides my life today, but I did where pregnancy was concerned. Motherhood would eventually become the thing that awakened me to my own intuition, and this breakdown on the floor was one of the first steps in that direction. I could feel my children inside my heart. And so I concluded adoption would ultimately be our route. But I was so worn out by all the trying and failing that I needed a break. I needed to regroup and regain my energy for the road ahead. My husband and I took some time off and headed to Cape Cod to relax. It was early fall and the Cape was both beautiful and empty, exactly what I needed. Five weeks later, I was getting ready to check out of my hotel room, having just wrapped up an industry event. When I felt so ill, I wasn't sure I was going to make, be able to handle the drive home. I asked my friend and colleague if I had really drank enough to make me this sick. I only remembered having a few drinks, but our events often ended in the wee hours of the night, and it was possible I had lost track of my consumption. She laughed at me and said she didn't think so, but maybe I was getting old. Then she looked at me and said, something's different. I watched her eyes study my face and then give me a once over. Your boobs are bigger, she exclaimed, and your face is different. Oh my God, are you pregnant? I brushed her off. Of course not. She knew well the struggle we had had getting pregnant. It was weird that she even suggested it. She demanded I call Matt, my husband, and have him pick up a pregnancy test so I could take it as soon as I got home. For months, we had bought those tests in bulk. In the first months, I took them almost daily when I thought I had missed my period. Just seeing them in the bathroom broke my heart, so I had tossed them weeks before. I debated whether I should even call Matt. I didn't want to get his hopes up. I was 99% confident I was not pregnant. I mean, you'd know, wouldn't you? But as I thought back, I realized I was late. I was very late. I called Matt and I asked him to get the test. It's probably nothing, but I feel so nauseous. I just want to rule it out. 
That night when I got home, I stepped into Matt's arms and laid my head on his chest, my safe place. The nausea had stopped and I had already decided it was just a long night that had me feeling ill earlier. Matt didn't even ask me about taking the test. We had both been through this process so many times. There wasn't room for hope. Once we caught up, I headed up to change. Did you put the test in the bathroom, I asked. Sure did, it's under the sink, he said. I plodded up the stairs, feeling the exhaustion from the long business trip with late nights deep in my bones. I pulled off my jacket, stepped out of my suit pants, and headed into the bathroom. Might as well get it over with, I thought. I peed on the stick like I had done 50 times before, set it down, and proceeded to wash up for the night. By the time my teeth were brushed, I almost forgot the test was there, but it caught my eyes. I turned to leave. I picked it up and saw the one thing I had waited so desperately for all those months. I was pregnant. As soon as I saw the little plus sign, a voice I didn't recognize said, it's a boy. I thought it was my imagination, so I shook it off and walked into the den where my husband was waiting. He didn't even look up at me. I'm sure he'd forgotten about the test too. You can only take so much pain before your nervous system creates processes to protect you. Both Matt and I had become numb to the answers in those pregnancy tests. Matt, I said slowly, I wasn't even sure what to say next. How many times had I gotten us both excited by a period that was a few days late? I think I might be pregnant, have been used so much, I couldn't bring myself to even say it. He was looking at me now. What? He said, curious but still not making the connection between me standing there staring at him and the pregnancy test. And that is when the words found me. I didn't think I was pregnant. I knew I was pregnant. I had never said those words before. We're pregnant. Motherhood. Our first child, Matthew, was born in 2005, our miracle. In 2007, we welcomed our daughter, Katie, into the world. In the two years after Matthew was born, our world became monumentally busier. Not only were Matt and I juggling children and work, but we were both in school getting master's degrees, Matt in business, and me in psychology. We each held more responsibility in our respective jobs, and I was trying to perform as a star player for my team with reduced work hours that let me ensure my children didn't spend all their waking hours in daycare. Matt and I juggled work commitments with getting the kids to daycare and scheduling ourselves so that one of us was with the kids as much as physically possible. This meant I was up and out of the house at 7 a.m. to get to work by 8 so I could leave and pick the kids up by 3. To drop the kids off at 9, Matt went to work late and therefore was home late. Matt managed the morning routine of getting the kids dressed, assembling lunches, and getting himself ready, then racing to daycare with the hopes he'd get to work on time. I handled the evening routine. I raced to daycare in the hopes of getting there before my daughter was put down for her late afternoon nap, which always threw off our schedule. The guilt of working drove me to make the most of our time, so as soon as I had the kids with me, I focused all my attention on them. This meant I gave myself zero time to decompress from work or daycare pickups. We came home and immediately jumped into child-led activities. I threw dinner together, all while keeping eye contact with both kids so they'd know how much they were loved. Matt got in just in time to have dinner with us most nights. After dinner, we jumped into the evening routine, which included baths, stories, and laying time, a process that the kids seemed to extend longer and longer every night. Most nights, once the kids were in bed, I poured myself a glass of wine, needing the support to relax enough to breathe. I always felt like I was trying to catch up with the mother and employee I knew I should be, but kept falling short of. I'd like to say I tried to be the kind of wife I knew I could be, but that would be a lie. I loved my husband, but there was no energy for any aspirational wifiness. 
date nights? What's that? It wasn't that we didn't love each other. I did and still do love Matt deeply. But once the kids came along, there was just so much to do that finding time for romance felt like a hill I didn't even know how to climb and definitely didn't have the energy for. I knew I had the advantages that most women didn't. I had a fully involved husband and father, the money for good daycare, a male boss who understood and valued family balance, appreciated my work and was happy to let me work reduced hours so my kids weren't in daycare all day long. We had money for a home we owned, two working cars, food, and whatever our kids needed. We weren't rich, but I knew we were deeply blessed, which is why it's so hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that I could not seem to excel in my work the way I once had. And I never felt that I could excel in motherhood the way I had in other things I had dedicated this much time, research, and effort to. The quiet pulse of not enough. No matter what I did, there was always a quiet, pulsing voice inside me saying, not enough, not enough. From the moment I got up until I went to bed, I was going, going, going. And yet it wasn't enough to be the version of myself I knew I could be. There was, however, one moment each day when I got to slow down and just be. It was my very favorite time of day. I would lay with my son in his bed and as he readied himself for sleep, then head into my daughter's room where I would hold her in the darkness, rocking back and forth. My son had always been a high-energy dude from the moment he came into the world. He needed a lot of interaction to be satisfied, to slip off to dreamland. But my daughter was the complete opposite. Put her down and she'd go to sleep, not a peep out of her. The rocking time was for me. I'd rest her big baby chubbiness in my arms, grounded by the sheer volume of her and rock. Sometimes she'd look at me. Other times she'd stare stare off just over my shoulder, but always so still, so quiet, so peaceful, as if to say, it's okay, mom. You let me know when you're ready to let go. It was as close to meditation as I could get back then, so it was really startling one night as we sat there and rocked and her body jerked. Just as quickly, she settled down until a few moments later when the same thing happened. I leaned closer in the darkness to see if her little baby face was scrunched up in pain or distress, but nope, just her peaceful little self staring back at me. That's when I noticed the drops of water on her cheek. Where did they come from? I looked up expecting to see a leak in the ceiling, but even in the darkness, I could see it was dry. And that's when I realized the water was mine. Those drops on her face were my tears. I sat dumbfounded, trying to find the reason why there were tears pouring down my cheeks and how I didn't know the tears were pouring down my cheeks to begin with. As the seconds ticked by, the reality of where I was, who I was, and how I felt closed in. Deep down inside me, I was sad. Deeply, deeply sad. But more frightening was the fact that until that moment, I had no idea. Because wrapped tightly around all that sadness was numbness. Somehow I had turned the dial on my own inner truth to mute. As I breathed into the sadness, the layers of everything I felt start to float up to the top. The pressure of trying to excel at a job I was doing in half the time it needed. The loss of my personal freedom and worst of all, the overwhelming pressure of being a mom to two little ones. I was instantly disgusted with myself. I knew how much I had to be grateful for. I had so much, the greatest of which was two healthy kids. I was holding this precious human and feeling bad. As I looked at my daughter, I thought, you deserve so much better than me. All right. Well, that concludes the beginning of Make Space for Magic. Thank you so much for listening with me. If you want to find out what happened after that moment, please. (laughs) pre-order my book and 
you'll be able to get an advanced read copy in our special group where we'll be talking all about what it was like at that time in my life. And I'll be honest with you, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably seem like a pretty clean recording because the editors at my podcasting production team are awesome. But I was crying even reading this to you because even now, I still remember what that life was like for me back then. And um, even though it's been years since I was in that space, since I discovered how to make space for magic, it's also like it was yesterday. And the thought that I would have lost out on all the gifts that I have received over the years had I not woken up to the truth of how hard I was pushing and how difficult I was making it on myself. And I hadn't figured out how to release the control and the pressure and the unreasonable expectations. I don't know what my life would be like right now. And I'm so grateful to have gotten here and to share what I can share with you on the journey of making space for magic in your own life. So I hope you would consider that question I offered you at the beginning of this podcast. What would be easy or what would be easier? Can you honor that question for yourself? Because I promise you, it takes you on a path filled with magic, filled with blessings, filled with divine help and love and support. And it's one of the most courageous questions you can answer for yourself. I send you so much love. And again, please grab the book, sign up for our bonuses and join me in our special magic makers group where we're going to just be diving in and making extra magic and having fun. Go to pattylyncom forward slash make space for magic and you'll receive all the instructions right there on how to be a part of this party that's going on. All right, much love. Hey, thanks for listening. If you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this episode with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review at your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people and it fills my heart with so much joy when I hear what you have to say about what I've shared. I'm cheering for your success. Have an amazing day. And don't forget, always create space for magic. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.